Having agency is defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choices. Tune in to get an inside look at the inspiring uphill climb of businesswomen from around the world. I'm your host, Cheryl Gillihan, and this is Woman-Owned Agency. Thank you all for joining me today. We have a special episode with a WordCamp US speaker, Amber Hines of Equalize Digital. Um, WordCamp US is already over and she's already given her talk, but I am excited to have this uh, time with her and just learn a little bit more about the things she was talking about, as well as her entrepreneurial journey and more about Equalize Digital and how it came to be and where it kind of honed in on accessibility as its focus. So Amber, if you would, please introduce yourself. Yeah, so I am the CEO of Equalize Digital, which is a certified B Corp and a WordPress VIP agency partner. And we specialize in making WordPress websites or WordPress powered applications accessible so that they can be used by everyone regardless of their abilities or disabilities. I was really surprised that you and I hadn't met in person before. We're both in the B Corp space. We're both in the web and WordPress space specifically. And you've been both in Colorado where Cause Labs used to be headquartered. And now you're in Texas where Cause Labs is currently headquartered. And I was thinking, how have we not met? That's crazy. <laughs> so, it really is. There's like so much overlap there. And I keep thinking, we were chatting before the show and I was having the same thought. <laughs> And so how long have y'all been a B Corp? When did that happen? It was either at the end of 2019 or early 2020. Probably okay. if you went and looked on our, our B Impact profile, it says the date and I don't remember. So we're relatively new. Like we we did our initial thing uh, round, you know, of review. We haven't had to do the re-up, I guess, which is every three years, I want to say. Yes. So, yeah. All right. But, so that was after you came to Texas. What was mm -hmm. the impetus for that decision? Well, we have been looking at B Corp certification for quite a while. Um, while when we lived in Colorado, there's a big initiative, the Best for Colorado, which was trying to get businesses in Colorado to um, be more impactful with their their work and how they engage with the community. And then part of that was the um, you can do the B impact assessment. Uh, I think we first filled it out in like 2015 and we were a very small company. Then it was myself and my husband and a contract designer. And we just didn't have the score, but it was mostly related to the fact that so many of the questions were not applicable. Right. Um, when it's essentially you and the person you're married to in a company and we work from home. So we didn't have an office. So we didn't get any points for like sustainability in our office, right? Like there's almost nothing. Um, so, but it was something that we knew we wanted to do. Um, we've, I've personally always just been very driven to want to do more and have a positive impact in the world. Actually, I founded and ran for three years, a nonprofit focused on women entrepreneurs when I lived in Fort Collins. And, um, and so it was always something that was sort of front of mind. And then when we came down to Texas, that sort of aligned with our team growing more. Um, and we had an office, <laughs> although after COVID, now we're all back in, so it must have been before COVID, but we're all back in our, uh, homes now, <laughs> but, um, 
but so it was easier to actually get the points that we needed <laughs> in order to to move forward with the b corp certification process but it just feels like something that resonates with me personally um as a leader and so i spoke with my co-owners so my husband and we have another partner in the business and um and sort of said you know i think this is important i think it's something we should do and so we went through the process and did it yeah, and it's great to see how the feedback that B-Lab has received has really transformed the audit as well. Um, a lot of questions that exist today didn't exist back in 2014 when we did it in 2015, when you may have taken it for the first time. They didn't um, consider the fact that there might be a lot of people working from home or a lot of remote work industries. And our industry has been remote work for a very long time. We've actually mm -hmm. been a virtual team and a distributed team since 2010. So when it kind of happened for everybody in 2020 with COVID, I was like, okay, this is how you do it, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gone back to look and see how the questions have changed. And I do think I heard something because they were saying, you know, some of the stuff they were saying, oh, if you recycle in your home and you have a home office, then maybe you can get the points for recycling. <laughs> Which, you know, in the very beginning, when I first filled it out, it was like, oh, you don't have an office, then none of this sustainability stuff applies to you. <laughs> we can give some pointers on how we measure and, our remote, remote office items. And I'm in Georgetown, Texas, and all of our energy and electricity in Georgetown is wind powered. So we have all sustainable electricity by force, whether or not people want it. But like, it's good, right? So I was like, this, this is a good That's thing. something you can measure now. <laughs> <laughs> another question that they added and I remember laughing when I saw it because it said um do you have non-gender bathrooms and I was like yes we all have non-gender bathrooms bathroom because this is a non-gender bathroom <laughs> my yeah. whole team works from home and they're all non-gender bathrooms <laughs> so it's I suppose unless funny. they live alone <laughs> Um, well, I don't know if they have guests over, do they make them use a different bathroom? Well, that's true. <laughs> so that question kind of cracked me up, but there are still some things for sure that we're not able to measure. One, because we don't know how to, because it's more manufacturing related and we don't manufacture anything. And so it's, it's difficult. We, you know, we get a zero score, or a null score for those items. But it's just, it's been wonderful for us to identify like what we aren't measuring. And I think I, I mentioned to you kind of in preparation for this interview that the, the reason we were doing this was we actually measured how many women-owned businesses we were partnering with and, you know, what we were doing to support uh, women-owned businesses. And we just didn't know the answer to that question. And so surfacing the question made us identify whether or not we cared about that. And then it became something mm -hmm. we started measuring. So it has been really good in that sense. Yeah, that's great. It is It is definitely hard with the suppliers, especially when you're not in an industry where you engage with physical materials very much. Mm -hmm. um, even us, I don't know, we buy printer paper once every six months, <laughs> you know, everything we do is digital. So then, I mean, aside from the software that we buy, but a lot of the software we buy is not coming, you know, it's like we pay for Google Workspace <laughs> and and we you pretty much have two choices, Microsoft 
Google <laughs> when right. it comes to like creating docs and, and setting up email accounts and all of that kind of stuff. So it is definitely more challenging, I think, on some aspects. But there, are, I, if anyone has a small business that is listening to this or is in the tech space, like I don't want to dissuade them from going through the B Corp certification because you can do it. Um, and there are other areas where you might get a lot of points. Um, but I know one of the things I talked to them about when they asked me for feedback after we went through the process was I was like, it is a little funny how some of the the questions are like percentage based. And when you have a really small team, your percentage numbers can be wildly skewed <laughs> on, um, you know, like how many people get their, you know, health insurance paid for or, or something like that. And it's like, well, what if someone just opted out of it because they work for, you know, um, but there are some areas where having a small team, I think actually skews your numbers in a way that gives you a higher score in a way. So it's definitely worth going through, even if you're not sure. And like you said, it gives you direction on, uh, you know, it makes you rethink things. I think we revisited our employee handbook quite a bit. Um, because of that. And I feel like we have better employment policies as an employer because we were looking at some of these questions and saying, well, why don't we have this? And so it caused us to do it and then we could update our score. Exactly, yeah. And there are a lot of things that we cared about that we didn't know we weren't kind of putting it into policy or putting it into practice in the way that we wanted to put it into practice. You mentioned that moving to Texas was kind of the impetus for growing your team. What's the size of your team now that you're here? Uh, so we have five and then we work with a handful of contractors still. So we're not especially huge, but we have a designer and a content specialist. Actually, I guess we should say six because we also have a part-time developer who works with us. <laughs> uh, so, but we're still, we're still relatively on the small side. I can see us getting a little bigger, but I don't ever see us being a huge company because we really enjoy the, the personal connections that we all make. We, we, we're small enough that we can all, you know, have an all hands team meeting every Monday morning and it's not overwhelming for anyone and everyone gets to talk. So we're the same size so and I am also in business with my husband so that's another another thing we have in common <laughs> no I feel like we need to go get a beer in Austin or something <laughs> I mean it seems like it it seems like it I'm in Grandview so I'm a little bit closer to Austin now um closer to Georgetown as well so all right well I want to learn a little bit more about you and kind of how you got into this. So you started it not in Texas, but actually when you were in Fort Collins, Colorado. And how long ago was that? Um, was it always Equalized Digital or did it have a different brand at some point? So I'm actually, I started freelancing in 2010 and doing websites and branding marketing strategy. As a freelancer, it was not in Colorado. It was on Nantucket. So my husband, who now is my partner in the business, he was a chef for 10 years. He ran restaurants. So that freelance business followed me around to a few different states as I followed him to different executive chef jobs. Um, and in 2014 is when we moved to Fort Collins. And that was when he sort of said, okay, my oldest two were a little bit older and I was like I think I'm going to do this more than just you know a few hours here and there um and so that's when I really started working on bringing on clients and then in 2016 well 2015 uh, my husband and I had a conversation and decided that we wanted to 
we wanted to travel and we wanted freedom to travel. And so we wanted to grow the business to the point that he could join full time and leave his career so that he'd have, we'd have an ultimate flexibility. We could go anywhere and not have to worry about, you know, him only having two weeks vacation, that sort of thing. And so at that point in time, we rebranded my freelance business into Roadware Creative. And that was at the very end of 2015 that we got very official and like registered it instead of as a sole proprietor, right? Like doing that. But I don't think we really launched it till 2016. And that's when he, at the beginning of 2016, joined me in the business full time. Um, and that was it was it was an interesting like experience. And we did. Um, we achieved our goal of around the time that we moved down here part of that was we bought a travel trailer and we lived in it full time for uh, a year and then we bought another house again but then we tr continued traveling until COVID happened um, and that was really the big sort of emphasis in growing the business um, and then we shifted into really focusing on accessibility it came out of some work we did for Colorado State University. We do a lot of work for them. And then also um, Workforce Solutions Panhandle, which is a government-funded project. And so with that, we really had the opportunity to engage more on the accessibility side. We really realized how important it was. Um, the Workforce Solutions Panhandle project was the first project where we actually brought in um, people who were blind and paid them to test our work and then fixed it. Uh, so we've done our own accessibility testing leading up to that, but we'd never done actual user testing sessions. And that was very impactful to me. And that's actually at WordCamp. That was part of my talk. I teamed up with Alex Stein, who is an amazing gentleman. He's uh, on the core accessibility team. He happens to be blind and uh, we showed him navigating a website during our talk. And I think for a lot of people, they were just like, wow, I have never seen that. I had no idea. And I feel like the first time you see that is when you really go, this is why this matters. And seeing some of the challenges or the things that aren't super great. And so that was very inspirational to me. And during COVID, we just had the opportunity, things slowed down. Uh, we had quite a few clients on marketing retainers that were conferences <laughs> that literally were like, we're not doing anything this year. So that budget's going away. Um, and like a bar in downtown Austin and a bunch of that. And so we had time on our hands and um, myself, Chris and Steve, the three of us sort of sat down and said, what are we gonna do? Like, what should our focus be this year? And so that led to us building our software product accessibility checker and really doing a full pivot and that's when we launched equalized digital so and that's our full brand i think there's there's still a website for road warrior up and we were like oh we're gonna take that down in january <laughs> so we're not actually doing anything under that brand at all so. so you've converted essentially to a product company at this point you know we have considered that being in the wordpress space it's kind of hard to kind of balance and bridge this question about services versus products. It seems like the grass is greener on the other side, but I know that there are challenges there too. And, you know, we've, we've tried to identify like how we, we step into both. Are you staying in both lanes or are you moving completely to the product side? So we are doing both services and products. We do custom enterprise builds. Um, that's our WordPress VIP 
agency partnership, that's where that comes in. Um, we also do a lot of just auditing. And actually, we've partnered with a lot of agencies where we're not necessarily doing auditing for the website owner, but other agencies are bringing us in to audit their work so that then they, but they handle all the dev, um, which I think works really well because the auditing is more scalable for us. Um, and the software product accessibility checker came really came out of needs that we were hearing from our clients about needing to have something that's very similar to like the SEO plugins on the post edit screen where it shows you whether or not you're doing a good job with the SEO. It's the same concept, only it's for accessibility. I think, you know, long term, we are really hoping to grow that and shift increasingly into the product focus. But right now we're kind of in the middle of that transition. And so we do still do a lot of um, accessibility services around that. I think at some point we might stop building websites, but there is some something to be said for staying in the actual building a website side, especially in the enterprise, because it keeps us aware of what's happening in that space and what's front of mind for businesses when they're looking for new websites. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just so much fun. I mean, I love the projects we get to work on. And to that point, are there any projects that you've already mentioned a couple of them, but are there any stories related to those projects or maybe another project that you've worked on that's been really impactful? Yeah, I mean, so like I said, the the Panhandle one was probably our most pivotal just in really being an experience that cemented for me how important accessibility was. And we continue to work with them. We... We, we like doing some sort of interesting stuff that aren't necessarily always public facing instances of WordPress. So another big client of ours is we built a sponsor portal for Lesbians Who Tech, which is a conference that runs twice a year, focused on lesbians and other LGBTQ in the tech industry. And we built a portal where their sponsors can engage with their team leading up to the event to get all the information they need, submit everything, everything like that, get all the FAQs. And so those kinds of things are fun, different sort of challenges, which I really enjoy. And then also when you get into the land of making something that is very interactive, accessible, that's a very different land than just, you know, a front-end brochure website. So on that front as well, I think, you know, that's that's been sort of a fun, interesting engagement that's been going on since 2017, I want to say, um, when we built the first iteration of that. And it's it's been constantly changing ever since. So it's like a good challenge. <laughs> yeah, and we're in the custom enterprise space too. And it feels like I'm always telling people, well, it's never just a website. People ask for websites now, and I'm like, but what do you really need? I feel like everything's interactive these days, right? What do people need to do on it? Mm -hmm. And now that accessibility is becoming more of a, you know, known need, more publicly known, I would say, um, or more known from a policy is going to require this of us <laughs> type side of things, it's, it's being positioned where there's budget being set aside for that at this point, right? And our question has always been, who is your target audience, but not to exclude anyone else outside of that target audience, but accessibility is this rabbit hole. <laughs> you can just go down, 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 and down. 
you talked about visual impairments a little bit, but there's also, you know, the deaf community, which we've done some work for uh, on our side, but then, you know, some of the things that I didn't think about were, were motor skills. And I think looking at Equalized Digital, mm -hmm. like there are some pictures where you're very clearly noting some audiences that might have motor skill capabilities and, and some challenges when they're accessing a web platform or a web application or a website. And then, you know, it, it can go down even further than that to and things that maybe aren't even in the policy side of things now yet around literacy and around um, language. And there's just so much, like, where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line, particularly with your product at the policy side of things? Or do you go deeper than that, depending on the project that you're working on? So it really does depend on the project. Some people come to us and they want just to be aware or alerted to things that are literal violations of the web content accessibility guidelines, which we call WCAG. Um, we talk about which version they're going to follow and whether they want to have um, A, AA, or AAA compliance, which are different levels of attention to detail, if you will. And so in some cases, we are only alerting them to those things, but we also very frequently focus on usability. So a tool that from an accessibility standpoint, maybe only works okay, but is very useful as a, an accessibility tool if you are you know typically able and you're able to use it is Hotjar, which a lot of people don't really think about but like watching users move through the site can frequently alert you to accessibility problems or other you know things that might exist with usability i i do think there's a line you know there's this area that is it is an obvious accessibility failure and then there's other things that it's not a clear failure, but it could be improved. Or sometimes we come across something where we're like, this is going to be a usability problem for everyone. <laughs> and, and so we'll flag for them and we'll say, hey, you know, this isn't just people on screen readers or people who can only use a keyboard or using um, voice to text where they speak and tell their computer where to go or eye tracking like this will cause a problem for everyone or this language might be confusing for everyone. Um, so we we do touch on those I, I love to be on the usability side as well. But sometimes we have clients where they're just like, we just literally want to know that we comply with these guidelines at this level. And we don't really want to hear about the rest or you can tell us, but we may or may not do anything with it. So. Yeah. And it's been interesting doing work in other languages for us because we do work globally and we've had some, some projects that, you know, are in Arabic, for example, with the right to left. And we have actually had to have um, people who speak Arabic on our team for those projects. They could let us know from a usability perspective, does this even make sense to just flip the interface? Like, can we just flip it? Does that, sometimes that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. um, and so just understanding what that means. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting and usability is definitely very important. So love the work that you're doing. I hope oh, that we you. get to partner on something. I think, like I said, accessibility is becoming more and more important. I think the audits are really important and the audits that we do are 
more automated or if we're doing the the strategy and consulting we're doing um a look at some of those deeper things that maybe aren't at the at the policy level at the you know a double a triple a uh level of things and kind of a little bit in the the gray areas <laughs> that haven't been touched on because they don't affect everybody or they don't affect as as large a community potentially and and aren't yeah you I know, think... kind of across the board Starting with automated is a great place to start because a lot of people don't even do that. If you can ensure that you meet color contrast and, you know, all of your forms have labels, like all these things that an automated tool can pick up, that will make a difference. But it's just important that people know that that doesn't actually mean you're accessible because there are some accessibility problems that literally can't be detected by an automated tool. Or sometimes they, they can say this might be weird, but it still requires a human judgment. Um, there's also instances where automated tools, we call them false positives. They flag something and you're like, no, this isn't a problem. <laughs> Dismiss. Yeah, you know. we've seen that as well. We've seen that as well. And we do have a QA partner that partners with us on accessibility things. But knowing that you do more of that, and particularly in WordPress, which is a space that we work in, yeah. uh, hopefully we'll get to partner on some projects together. That would be great. Well, are there any other woman-owned agencies that you already partner with, or maybe that you don't partner with yet, but you would love to partner with them, and that would just be a dream? Yeah, so... In the WordPress space, because that's probably where I'm most deeply embedded, um, another woman-owned agency that I am great friends with the owner, Bet Hannon, she just launched a WooCommerce-focused accessibility brand called Accessicart, so that's pretty cool. Um, some other women in the space, Yoast just got sold to Newfold, but it was co-owned by a husband and wife team. If you're familiar with that plugin, also Miriam Schwab, which of course she just sold her business to Elementor, but she started a company called Stratic, which is focused on headless WordPress. And she she's actually based out of Israel, but she's been phenomenal. Like she's provided some thoughts to me about ours. And I, it's been really neat to watch her journey because it was a relatively new um, company and she ran it for a couple of years and she just sold it to Elementor. She's still on board. She's still running the company. So while it's not women owned anymore, it is women led. So. Yeah, but kudos to her. That's a big deal. Um, and that's one of the things that I really like about WordPress is that if you can build something that uh, serves the market and serves the community, there are opportunities for things like that, regardless of how small you or new your business is, which mm -hmm. is that's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing and thank you for joining me today. Any other things that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, so if anyone is interested in learning more, the big thing that I always try to promote is the WordPress Accessibility Meetup. It's part of the official meetup program. It's on Zoom twice a month. It's all live captioned. So you can find that if you just go on Meetup and search WordPress Accessibility Meetup. And that's a good way to learn all about accessibility and sometimes it's super wordpress focused but a lot of times it's just general accessibility information that'd be applicable to anyone with any kind of website thanks so much amber have a wonderful day thank you